Our scripture text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful truths this morning from your word. That you would write that truth upon our heart we might respond to it rightly. Like Moses of old, we pray, O Lord, please show us your glory. That we would not only set our faith on the one who is our Savior, but that your glory might be revealed in and through our lives to a watching world. We ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we pick up this morning where Pastor Tim left off last week as he brought us to a conclusion uh, of the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You'll recall, I'm sure, 
that Pastor Tim stood in this pulpit and read to us the very words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 27. He read those words. But is that all he did? Did he read those words and then sit down and say, go in peace, that's all you get? No, he read those words. He prayed for God's blessing. And then he expounded upon that word. He told us. He helped us understand the truth of those words and how when that truth is put into practice, it actually makes all the difference in our lives and all the difference in our relationship to God. It makes it all very real. Put into action, the truth of God's word gives us direction and purpose and meaning and joy and peace and life. But the word of God is not just meant to be practical. The Bible is not just some how-to manual for dummies. It's meant to reveal the very glory of God to us. Lord God Almighty has chosen to make himself known to us and to make us his very own people, sons and daughters of the Most High. Remember what Hebrews tells us in the first verse of chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. As we come to this passage here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what happens next is the question we ask. We've heard Jesus' teaching. We have come to understand what it means in our limited capacity. And we left last week, Lord willing, different. But we come now to the very last two verses of chapter 7 and then the first 17 verses of chapter 8. And these The end of chapter 7 says that the crowds were astonished at Jesus' teaching. They were blown away by it. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. And that was different than what they were used to hearing from the, the scribes and the priests At the time of Jesus, all knowledge of God and all exercise of His authority were mediated through the priests and scribes who used the Old Testament. They read the Old Testament. They prayed the Old Testament. Matthew, writing his gospel account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the Old Testament as well. This first of the four gospels in the New Testament quotes the Old Testament 66 times. Now, in comparison to the Gospel of Mark, the next Gospel, Mark only quotes the Old Testament once. Why is it that Matthew would use the Old Testament and quote it so vigorously 
and abundantly as he proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Primarily, it's because his primary first audience were Jews and they knew the Old Testament. And from the very beginning, God said, it will come first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles and to the very ends of the earth. And we have seen it happen over the centuries. But here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew begins to to lay out who Jesus is to all who would listen. Jesus has has taught this great teaching that has astonished the crowds because he teaches with such great authority. They're not used to that from the scribes. But Matthew tells us what happens next to prove that Jesus really is the long-awaited Messiah, the promised deliverer, the son that would come to save God's people throughout all time. Jesus did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, Scripture tells us, but He came to fulfill them. Yes, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Yes, Jesus spoke as one who had authority. He spoke the truth of God and then the text tells us He came down off the mountain and He showed them the truth of God. Now, Jesus demonstrates His power and His authority by the performance of miracles. Signs which attest to who He is. Signs which prove the truth of His teaching. Signs which prove the claims that He really is indeed the Christ. And so by word and by deed, He shows them that He is the way, the truth, and the life. These first 17 verses in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Matthew divide into three parts and each are set apart geographically, so to speak. If you look at verse 1, you'll see these words. When Jesus came down from the mountain, and that begins the section which addresses Jesus' healing of the leper. Then if you look down to verse 5, you'll see the second section, which begins with the words, when He entered Capernaum. And that section deals with the healing uh, of the servant of the centurion. And then the third section begins in verse 14 with the phrase, when Jesus entered Peter's house. That's the third section of this passage. In that section, Peter's mother-in-law is healed. And not to be overlooked, not to be passed by too quickly, because it's just kind of thrown in with 
the healing of the mother-in-law, these verses that tell us that there are also others who are healed of illnesses, many others, even those who are possessed and oppressed by demons have those demons cast out by Jesus. In this passage, I want to point out three things that are revealed in these three stories. Verses 1 through 4, the Lord Jesus manifests His compassionate power in the healing of a man with leprosy. And we learn the truth that all who trust in Jesus will be healed from the affliction of sin. This leper came before the Lord, we are told, in verse 2, and he bowed down before him and he said, Lord, if you will, make me clean. This is an amazing thing that this leper would come to Jesus. Leprosy, you probably know, was a dreaded disease in Jesus' time in the ancient world. It was thought to be the very judgment of God against an individual. It was thought to be highly contagious and incurable. So lepers were, for the most part, ostracized. They were kept apart from mainstream society. There was certainly nothing the physicians of the day uh, could do to cure leprosy. If you were going to be cured of leprosy, it was going to be all up to God. It's all in God's hands. Only He could cure leprosy. Even the law of Moses doesn't give rules about uh, what to do with every sickness, but it does tell us that if you had leprosy, you were to show yourself to a priest. Not a physician. There's nothing a physician could do for you. Maybe ease your temporal suffering a bit with some ointment or something, but he couldn't cure you. The priest could diagnose you, but only God could heal you. The priest could pronounce you ultimately healed according to the law, but only God himself could heal a leper. And even beyond the suffering and social ostracism, there was the fact that a leper was considered unclean, spiritually unclean before God. If you had leprosy, you weren't allowed to come in with the people of God to worship in the temple. You were separated, cast out, kept away because of the uncleanness. Yet this man, the amazing thing is, was bold enough to come into public admitting himself to be a leper and cast himself before the feet of the Lord Jesus saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The Lord Jesus' words are beautiful and maybe you notice how they correspond exactly to the leper's words. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will be clean. In this simple interaction, we see that the Lord Jesus has power not only over the most dreaded disease of leprosy, certainly that, but what it is symbolizing here for all of us 
We may not have the disease known as leprosy, but in the context of this passage, we have the uncleanness. Now, look closely. What is it that Jesus does here? He says, I will be clean, but what does he actually do? He reaches out and he touches this leper. How long would it have been since this leper had felt human touch? Even from his own family. And the Lord Jesus graciously reaches out and touches this man and heals him of this disease, showing us his power, his authority is rooted in compassion and grace. Back in that time, lepers were required, if they came with, within distance of healthy people, to walk down the street saying, unclean, unclean, I'm warning you, I'm unclean. So they would not touch him because if somebody touched a leper, they would become spiritually unclean. And they would have to follow the law of Moses and do all these things to overcome that uncleanness that were set out in the law of Moses. But here Jesus reaches out and touches this leper and heals him of this disease with compassion and grace. Do you see the superiority of Jesus over Moses here? Moses, the great uh, leader and deliverer of God's people out of bondage in Egypt, the one God called to go and save his people from their bondage. Matthew is showing us the superiority of the Lord Jesus. Moses, like the priests, had to offer sacrifices for himself first and then for the people. But this Lord Jesus needs no forgiveness of sins. He is not unclean. If you or I had been in Israel and we had touched a leper, we would have been declared ceremonial and unclean. But the Lord Jesus can touch a leper and not be. That's the kind of power he has over sin and disease. And this passage is a testimony to the authority of the Lord Jesus. The authority that he has in being the very Son of God. It's a testimony to his divinity, to his claim to be the Son of God who came and dwelt among us, taking on flesh that he might deliver us through his death and through his resurrection. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And here's a simple truth. If this leper had not admitted that he was a leper, he couldn't have been cured of his leprosy. And likewise, we too must admit that we are spiritual lepers. We are unclean. We deserve judgment. We need the forgiveness of our sins. 
And we must do this before we'll ever taste and see of the Lord's goodness and the gracious restoration that awaits us. Ask yourself this question. Do we have the same kind of compassion for those who are outcast among us that the Lord Jesus had? He saw this leper. He had compassion for him. He wanted this man to be made whole. Is that in your heart as well? Do you have that same kind of love for the unlovely, for the outcast, for the ostracized? If the love of the Lord Jesus is in us, we ought to have that kind of love, that type of practical, caring love. And though we can't heal with a touch and with a word like Him, we can do something. We can minister to them in his name. You remember the summary statement in chapter 7 that summarized all the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do it. Do it. Show that compassion, that grace, the love of Jesus. The second thing we learn uh, in this passage is in verses 5 through 13 in the story of the centurion's servant. And it's that Jesus is the Savior of the world, of both Jews and Gentiles. And this was a a new concept. This was not widely held uh, among God's people as what was going to happen. But Jesus shows us the truth of it. That he is the one and only Savior of the world, of both Jews and Gentiles. This centurion, a Roman officer, and the occupying army in the land of Israel comes to the Lord Jesus. Now, I wouldn't imagine that Roman officers would have usually interacted very politely with Jewish peasants. I imagine that there would have been at least some air of superiority about him. But this Roman officer humbly comes to the Lord Jesus and says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. I don't know whether that centurion had heard the Lord Jesus preach or had witnessed uh, Jesus' miracles or had just heard about all of that from somebody else. But I know this. This centurion knew that the Lord Jesus could heal his servant. And he calls him Lord more than once. He bows the knee, as it were, to Jesus. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. I will come to your house, Gentile. Though it was uh, not what Jews were to do. They weren't to consort and, and fellowship in the homes of Gentiles. And yet Jesus says, I will come to your house, Gentile, and I will heal him. Isn't it amazing how the Lord... Uh, answers our prayers more graciously than we even hope for. 
That centurion wanted healing for his servant. And the Lord Jesus says, I will come in to your house, Gentile, and fellowship with you. And I'll heal your servant. Immediately the centurion in his humility is overwhelmed by what the Lord has said to him. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. Don't come under my roof. You don't need to. It's, it's, it's not for me. I, I'm not worthy of such honor and respect and care that you would actually come to my house. Do you hear all the actions behind the words and teachings of Jesus? Jesus is throughout this passage demonstrating all that he's already taught, the reality of who he is and he's showing it here by being willing to come to the Roman centurion. But he says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But I too am a man under authority and I know you can just say the word. Give the command and my servant will be healed. The centurion knew what it was to have delegated authority from Rome. He knew that having the authority from Rome meant that he could say to his men, do it. And they would do it. Go there. Come here. And they would go. And they would come. He had people who worked for him, who served under him. And he knew that the Lord Jesus had the very authority from heaven itself and that he could say, with all the power of the creator of the universe, go, come, be healed, and be forgiven. And it would be done. And it was. We're told something else quite amazing in this second section. We're told that the Lord Jesus marveled at the centurion. He was himself astonished and amazed at the faith of this man. And he turned to the ones who were following them and he said, I haven't found faith like this among my own people, among the children of Israel who have the law and the prophets, who heard from Moses and Isaiah and who were given the testimony uh, of the rabbis over the ages. I haven't found any among my own people who believe like this. His disciples must have been just kind of like, oh, Wow. Kind of taken aback, like, wait a minute, what about me? What about my faith? But he's, he is marveling at how this man, this Gentile centurion, trusts him, believes in him. And he turns to that man and he says, let it be done for you as you have believed. He doesn't say, I'm going to do just as you ask me. He says, I'm going to do just as you have believed. 
As you have had faith in me, your servant is healed. And with a word, Jesus heals that servant. Just as God spoke the world into being by the power of his word, and the Lord Jesus speaks this man into health, having never even seen that servant, or never even gone in to the house. We see here that Jesus Christ has concern for all kinds of people, even the enemies and oppressors of his very own people. Romans, and we can think of some names that the Jews might have uh, called them uh, by the people whose land they occupied. Romans, Gentiles, dirty, unbelieving, barbaric Gentiles who deserve to be destroyed by God. But the Lord Jesus cares about them and even this Roman centurion. He wants to save them. He wants them to be healed. He wants them to have faith in Him. Do we have that same attitude toward our enemies, toward those who are against us, those who oppress us. Do we want to see them brought to faith? Do we trust in the power and the authority of Christ like this centurion did? Do we understand Christ's power and authority like he understood Christ's power and authority? Do we really believe that the Lord Jesus can speak And it can be done. Do we trust Him like that? Do we humble ourselves before Him, this Son of God and Savior of sinners? The last thing we learn in this passage is in verses 14 through 17. Here Jesus is shown to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners by His fulfillment of the Old Testament Messianic prophecies, and particularly in this passage, the one in Isaiah chapter 53. They quote verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 53 here, right at the end. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. The Lord Jesus comes into the home of Peter and He heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And this would have been a common illness, just like it is among us today. It wasn't nearly as dramatic a sickness as the leper or the paralytic had. It wasn't as dramatic a healing. But the Lord Jesus reached out and touched her hand and heals her just by touching her. And immediately it, t- it tells us she gets up and begins serving the house, serving the Lord Jesus, even though she had been bedridden with a fever. Now, back then, there was no ibuprofen, no Tylenol. I, know, I don't know if you're like me, but when I start feeling a fever coming on, I'll take something and just I just need to keep it, being able to function, so i got to lower that fever. Back then, pretty much all you did was just handle the discomfort and and try to ease their suffering, and they just had to ride it out. Because we all know now a fever is just is our body's reaction to some other sickness. 
harming us, destroying us from within. And it's the, it's the outward sign of that sickness. And back then you just had to, you know, put a cold rag on your head and, and wait it out. And it usually took a while. It's not like popping a couple of Tylenol and within the hour you feel a lot better. It took a while. This passage reminds us that there's nothing that is too small for the Lord to deal with. Especially when whatever it is is hindering our service to Him. This mother-in-law was bedridden. Her fever kept her from doing what she wanted to do, was planning on doing, was there to do to serve the Lord when He came. And Jesus removes that hindrance, removes that impediment. There's no thing too small for Jesus to deal with. He cares for us in all of our mundane affairs, even a fever that would set us back and slow us down and keep us from serving Him. Jesus, this, these last verses go on to tell us uh, that He does some other things. He shows His sovereign power and authority over the spiritual forces of darkness. I'm not asking you to suspend your logic and reason. This is all supernatural, miraculous power on display. But the truth is, there is more than this world that we see with our own eyes. There is a spiritual realm and we are at war. And there are those then and now who can be oppressed by the spiritual fortness of darkness. Consumed almost to the point of destruction And yet Jesus manifests his sovereign power and authority over them by casting out the demons of those who were brought to him. And all of that, the healings of many other illnesses, Matthew tells us, is specifically to prove that Jesus is the one who fulfills Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4, where he quotes him, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is showing them and showing us that he is the promised Messiah, the Savior of Israel. But not just Israel. He's the Savior of all those who trust in him. Lepers, no disease, No sin is too great for him to cleanse. Centurion servant, even Gentiles this Messiah loves and saves. 
a mother-in-law with a fever. No suffering too small. Those possessed by demons, those beyond the help of any human aid, he saves and sets free. That's the reality of the gospel. Have you exercised the kind of faith in Jesus that these people exercised in this passage? They trusted in his person. They trusted in his power and they trusted in his promises. All those authoritative teachings that he had taught, he now proves it's real by how he engages them and interacts with them and reveals his glory to them. May we too turn to the Lord Jesus. Let's do that now in prayer. Our Lord and our God, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We confess it, we profess it, we declare it. May your power and your glory be revealed once again in our hearts and in our lives in big ways and small ways, all for the honor and praise of your name. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.